In 12-step programs, the 11th step says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. To those who follow the 12 steps, isn't this the same as John 15 in the Bible? Just how much time and effort are we applying to improve our conscious contact with God? Anyone else thinking like this? Or is it just me? And then it says, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Are we praying only this way? Jesus and Moses taught people to love God with their whole life. If we are seeking God with our whole inward being, with everything that we are, we will be improving our conscious contact with God and living more by God's principles. We will be demonstrators of God's righteousness. All this is invisible work. Improving our conscious contact means we will think about God more. Directing our thoughts is an invisible choice followed by invisible action. We will need to choose to apply ourselves into thinking more about God. We won't always feel like thinking about God nor serving God, but we will need to commit to do it anyway. We can't just sit around waiting to be in the mood. Look at the faith of Abraham, who was willing to kill his son for God. This is the sort of faith Christians and Jews were guided to have. See Romans 4, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 11. We need the kind of faith that will seek God when we desperately don't feel like it. We need to seek God, whether comfortable or not. In many cases, inspiration comes after doing God's will. It is so common to hear people in meetings or groups share how they did not want to go to the meeting, and yet they are so glad they came. Sometimes we might not feel like taking care of ourselves. We might not feel like reaching out for help or to make corrections. We might not even feel like connecting with others. We may resist forgiveness and mercy, but we need to practice it, to know it, learn from it, and have it develop us spiritually. Doubtful, misguided senses are often the problem. These urges and desires to avoid spiritual discipline can hurt us if we obey them. Let's decide right now that God is more important than immediate comforts. Let's decide that God's interests and perspective is more important than our own. And with all this, let's agree to do more of what the Bible repeatedly says and pursue it with willingness, readiness, and diligence. To improve my conscious contact with God, I will need to investigate the living Spirit of God. I will need to take action to situate my mind to soak up information about God, the way the Bible describes God. I will need to do many things that go against my desires. Every day I will need to be willing to choose God's ways over what I feel like doing or what I'm used to doing. That which is familiar has to do with my old ways and that which is unfamiliar can be growth with God. To improve my conscious contact with God, I will need to improve my connection and experience with love. I need to make love a priority in my thoughts and feelings. I will need to set my inward being to experience empathy, kindness, and caring. I will need to spiritually embrace others with truth and sincerity. God is love. Love is invisible. God is spirit. I will need to situate my thinking and senses to explore this invisible spiritual love of God.
I will need to understand how this love is good. I will need to experience how my participation with love affects my relationships and my inward being. The more I do it, the more I can grow my understanding and belief about the good in it. If we live to obey God, there would be little self-seeking, selfish ambition, false flattery, deception, or insincerity. Such things would not be condoned or ignored. We would know how this character is destructive and help others understand it. Someone practicing false flattery would be like a child running in the school hallway and instead of saying to them, walk, we would say, speak sincere truth. And when people try to sway someone from showing feelings, we would encourage them to avoid repression while applying correct steps with God's goodness. We can't be perfect, but we can certainly improve toward perfection. It's not the action that is difficult, but the fear of others being in disagreement with such truth and sincerity. The uncomfortable awkwardness of God's righteous ways can be challenging to others' misguided faith. The poison of fear, pride, and self-seeking is in the masses, and the masses will try to protect them. When the light of God shines on it, they may seek to put the light out. The only barrier to us is our belief. Our beliefs form our choices. I had to convince myself or learn I could no longer rely upon my beliefs. I had to choose to set my beliefs aside for the pursuit of contrary spiritual disciplines. I had to humble myself and make spiritual principles a higher goal than money, status, people-pleasing, or anything else. This kind of self-teaching and redirection takes concentrated effort, sometimes exhausting effort. At first it can feel like a lot of work. My mind was undisciplined. It would just go on its own toward whatever it desired. And wherever it wanted to go, I went. Since the Bible describes God as love, merciful, compassionate, peaceful, patient, truthful, not with partiality, just, fair, forgiving, and generous, then those character traits are to be what we are to love with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. If we love these character traits, God's character traits, with increasing measure, we will certainly grow into them. And to love anything, I will need to focus upon them and interact with them. I will need more engagement and participation with love. I will need to let others love me. And through all this new action, my beliefs and understanding and knowledge and faith will grow. Yet we must not have division within our beliefs about God's character traits. We will need to see how they are good. If we doubt them or don't want to believe in them, then this disbelief can make it true. On page 98 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, Argument and fault-finding are to be avoided like the plague. On page 84, And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. Page 85, we feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Trusting in God or the spiritual principles involves letting go of doubt and disbelief. We let our reliance upon our cooperation with these character traits control our lives. There is still much discernment for us to exercise. We will still have so much to learn and develop inwardly as we gradually improve. Diligent perseverance will still be required to help further our alignment with God's righteousness. 
2 Corinthians 1.12 Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Think about integrity and godly sincerity. Apparently, it is done through relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Relying upon God's grace takes invisible work. Since most of us are situated to rely upon ourselves, paychecks, health care, spouse, job, groups, then we will need to make changes to rely upon God's grace. If we are to grow more relying upon God, then we are to increasingly become less reliant upon the world, money, status, approval, etc. As we improve our reliance upon God's grace, we act accordingly with God's righteous character. Our character will change to be more like God's. Our thoughts will focus more to build God's good. As we love others with more sincerity and depth, we will experience new responses within us and around us. We will be able to find new spiritual reactions within ourselves and the world around us, if we seek it out. The spiritual kingdom of God is something we can participate with today. Sensing this spiritual kingdom will not come about through worldly wisdom, but through our clinging to and relying upon God's grace. Around 2007, I decided to apply myself toward this command in Mark 12:30. I just had to know. The Bible was emphasizing one command, to love God and be in God's love. I knew I did not have nor understood God's love. I was afraid of love, but there it was, clear instructions to make this love my way of life. I had to think more about love and what it is like to be in it. I was accustomed to progress, not perfection. I had baby-stepped my way to credentials and out of hopelessness. I knew I was embarking on a long, new, progressive journey with God. I was nervous, but I was inwardly convinced to find the truth about God, and I knew that meant changing my life. Jesus says in Matthew 22:40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Both of these commandments are about love, God's love, loving others with sincere truth and without partiality. It's not about being positive or nice. It's about being right, godly right, and objective. It's not about worldly customs or social expectations. It's about God's truth. Sometimes love needs to be socially awkward and conflicting because the world is wrong about love. Gentleness and patience, whenever possible, is probably a good idea. Let's refrain from false flattery and people-pleasing. Let's stay with God-pleasing and reliance upon God's character and truth, no matter what. I was not comfortable practicing sincere love. I feared being emotionally involved. I didn't feel comfortable having my heart on the table. Love and peace were not my goals. I was disgusting, resentful, fearful of people, and proud. I began starting my day with my mind toward love and peace. This was invisible work of my mental discipline. I began each day meditating upon love and peace to learn more how to grow in it. I would try to maintain this conscious awareness of being with love and peace throughout each day. 
Just keeping the awareness was challenging enough, let alone acting upon it. I knew I still had so much more room to grow, and I wondered if my life could be even better if I continued to grow. And 13 years later, I'm now claiming it does continue to get better as I continue with God. All this work is invisible. To focus, concentrate, ponder, examine, investigate, seek, follow, and learn is work that we can easily hide from others. This work can go unseen. We will need to choose to give ourselves over to such work in order to grow. We will need to be clay for the potter. And just because we cannot see anything happening, it doesn't mean nothing is happening. We all know that when we hurt others, everyone suffers. When we love others for the sake of love, everyone is blessed. This kind of love must be done with humble sincerity and without pride or self-seeking. We are not doing it to please people, although that frequently does happen. We are doing it to make it right with God, to make ourselves right with God. We are loving rightly by God's ways. We are focused to agree with God's will in our actions. Spiritual senses come alive as we improve in this way. There is an invisible spiritual sensation we can all experience through our participation with good and evil. What we serve is what we seek to have more of, whether it is God or money. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I need a job or a way to make money for food, etc. I stay out of debt and live within my means. I don't believe God wants me to be in debt. While in my 20s, me and a friend both got credit cards. My friend upgraded his car stereo and took on debt. I stayed out of debt. He wanted to feel good with the stereo, and I wanted to be free of feeling bad from debt. We both got what we wanted. There is a good spiritual freedom from avoiding debt and getting out of it. I believe God wants us to experience this freedom. There's a sense of peace there. Money and dependency upon it can be spiritually tricky. Read Matthew 10 and imagine yourself being a disciple. Matthew 6:19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have redirected my desires for money a lot over the years, and I intend to continue to prompt my conscience toward seeing the good of being free from money reliance. Money is a great resource that can be used to help others. However, loving it is dangerous. I make money, but live for God. I say this today, although tomorrow may be very different. We are given responsibility to make choices about what we do inwardly and outwardly, much of which involves invisible work. In fact, our spiritual growth depends upon our unseen activity. What we do and how we do it will impact our spiritual experiences. It will affect our understanding and the conditioning of our souls. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. Focusing upon our appearances while neglecting spiritual development of God's grace can lead us into emptiness, loneliness, and the sense of spiritual destruction. Matthew 23, 27-28 Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If we love God with our whole inward being, as instructed in the Bible, then we will increasingly align our inward being to be more with God we can sense many good spiritual things as a result. Philippians 3.14 I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You ever press toward the goal for a prize? To win a prize involves a competition, proven to be better than others at a skill. The skill we are to develop is described by Jesus in John 15. We are to rely upon God for our pleasure comfort, joy, peace, and love. Jesus gives some more details how to bring this about in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. There are many examples of what we can do in practice, but are we applying ourselves with the same drive, diligence, and effort we would if we were seeking to win a prize? Luke 13:24 NIV Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Think about a narrow door. Now imagine yourself moving quickly toward a narrow door, but you have no brakes or ability to stop or slow down. Wouldn't you concentrate carefully to ensure your movements are going to make it through? Are we making every effort? Are we even considering how and where we apply our efforts to improve them toward our growth with God's character? Think about the effort and inward struggle every leader in the Bible faced. Characters in the Bible were inwardly challenged to the extreme, even facing death, and they chose this seemingly more difficult way because it was good. Won't we also gain through perseverance in our own inward struggles? For more about invisible work, please listen to the podcast series Spiritual Growth Formula. As Jesus described in John 15, we are to be formed more like God to be with God and relying upon God's guidance, but not only formed, but reformed. We currently have incorrect formation. Although parts of us may be with God, we certainly fall short from perfection. We all sin. We have parts that are not with God. In order to grow, we will need to begin letting some parts of ourselves go. This too is invisible work. Simply refraining ourselves from doing things we know are not good also takes effort and a God consciousness. Proverbs 29:18, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Let's seek this way of happiness through keeping to God's ways. Our identity will need to change. To switch from self-serving to God-serving means embracing a new identity. We will need to deny or restrain parts of ourselves when the urge comes. To recognize an urge or temptation requires self-awareness. 
we absolutely must grow a concentrated effort toward identifying temptations within us. We will need self-awareness to identify ungodly desires and even more effort to restrain from them. We can pray to God each day for help with all this. Beginning each day with humble prayer to God for direction and guidance is needed. If I don't begin with God, I'll be less likely to get with God later. It is always good to get right with God. We need to see our errors. It's one thing to learn something new and entirely another to learn how we are wrong and look at it long enough to find a solution. Then we can make corrections. We are to learn our misguided thoughts, beliefs, urges, and habits to replace them with God's grace. Romans 12, 2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewal involves our mind, faith, hearts, senses, and beliefs to progressively align with God. We each will need to choose how much of ourselves we will be willing to abide in God. We will choose our level of effort or diligence. Willingness and readiness to be different is required. We will choose how much time and thought we will apply toward learning and growing. We will choose how much heart we will give of ourselves to experience God. I chose to apply myself with more time, thought, words, and actions. It was a choice that involved struggle and suffering. My choices had success and failures. Some days were better than others, but I kept at it. I kept thinking how important being with God was to me. It was for my sanity and my soul. It was clearly a better way to live, and I just couldn't lie to myself about that. Romans 12.2 It says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I was shown grace through others who were proving the will of God. It was proven by their demeanor, attitude, words, and actions. I could just tell there was the good of God growing in them. I could tell because I was looking for it. I was discerning for truth and sincerity. This good of God within them was a result of them choosing to abide more in God. And this brought me hope and faith. It helped me believe something was there. As I have testified in other podcast episodes, I thoroughly study God's good and acceptable will and have been very slowly abiding more and more into it. Those who know me watch me proving the will of God in my choices and actions. Where I was once callous and uncaring, I have began to demonstrate compassion. I have imperfectly progressed in the ways of empathy, forgiveness, and mercy. Where I used to be hurried and rushed, I have grown with peace and patience. This is transformation. We can learn to sense the good in it through experience. There is serious spiritual power here. The fact is, we can do this, and it is what the Bible teaches us to do. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Mm-hmm.